0: at you. again thank you so much for tuning in to captain hunters podcast the podcast that is dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve thank you guys so much hey make sure that you're rating subscribing and sharing these episodes and podcasts with your loved ones with your family with your friends and with your co-workers if you're interested in hearing about more about police work and what's going on and the secret lives of police officers and what we do and what we think and how we think about police reform and defunding the police and all that kind of thing then this is the place and the podcast Podcast for you. We're going to continue on growing and growing and trying to get this information out there so we can really do the best that we can to bridge the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. So many times people think that they know what police officers think or what they do or what they should be doing and and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's just not what it is. So we're going to get into police culture and just talk about what what goes on behind the scenes and all that. So uh, on today, we got a great episode for you today. We've got Linda R. Williams, she is the head of noble that is the that is the national organization of black law enforcement executives i believe it's from lieutenants and up are in this organization but of course if you're a sergeant or even if you're not in law enforcement and you're just an ally uh, then you can also join up as an auxiliary member or something along those lines uh associate member or something like that they have so anyway, uh, so she is the first Secret Service agent or retired Secret Service agent that I've had on the show. Really, really appreciate her coming on the show to talk about uh, her life and career in law enforcement and the Secret Service uh, and, um, and and her dedication to the community and uh, what we can do in law enforcement going forward. Uh, I really, really appreciate her coming on. We did a Facebook Live, so that's what this episode is from Facebook Live. So you hear people kind of tuning in and chatting in, and i be reading people's uh, messages and everything like that. Remember, we do do Facebook Live every Monday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I say every Monday, don't know how often we're going to be continuing those. Uh, I'm actually looking to change up the format and make sure that I stick only with law enforcement. I was or I was having educators on, psychologists on, and everything like that. So I'm going to be st- making sure that I really, really am sticking to just law enforcement. Because um, if it's law enforcement that you guys are tuning in for and that you want to hear Captain Hunter's uh, perspective on what's going on, then that's what I want to give and just law enforcement's perspective. I do plan on starting up another podcast to talk about the other things. For you, those of you who don't know, uh, my actual uh degree degrees are in psychology so i enjoy talking about education i enjoy talking about politics i enjoy talking about uh, the community i enjoy talking uh, about uh, about education psychology uh in teaching and all that kind of stuff so a lot i'm not just a one-trick pony with law enforcement um, but i want the podcast to grow and i seem to get uh, i think that the vast majority of people who tune into this particular podcast really just want to hear about about uh, the police uh, in law enforcement aspect. So I'm gonna be starting up a separate uh, podcast and we're gonna concentrate on the other things on the other side. So we'll see uh, how it goes and I'll keep you guys informed. But nevertheless, here we go. We're gonna talk about it, we're gonna get into it. Uh, Noble President Linda R. Williams, former Secret Service agent, very first one on the show, and she has great taste in Secret Service movies, as we'll talk about at the end. So here we go, Linda R. Williams. Please make sure you rate, subscribe, and share these episodes, and you can support the podcast through PayPal Cash App and Venmo. Much love and peace. Here we go. About what was going on, uh, in the world, I mean politics. Mm-hmm. You talk about you name it. We talked about it, and okay. so I'm like, you know what? When I retire, I'm just going to start doing this. I I, I I listened to podcasts when I was working, when I right. was uh, working out. Uh, I, I shouldn't say when I was working. I was working when I was working. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're
1: recording now, so yeah. Y'all
0: <laughs> So yeah, uh, you're, you're right. I put myself out there. <laughs> so wasn't I was me. <laughs> um yeah so I, that's that's just how i got into it i just wanted to just keep it up and really try to do something for the environment for the community yeah. uh and just try to make a difference in this world you know yeah. so,
1: and when you find so, your passion and that's like yeah. that's why i say after everything that you've read this is my happy place very happy yeah,
0: yeah well that that's good so we got a we got a couple of viewers here so i really appreciate them uh, tuning in, logging in. So um, I want to welcome my uh now good friend, <laughs> Ms. Right? President Linda R. Williams, to the show. President of Noble, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I uh, am going to do something that I normally don't do, and that is read your bio, just a few snippets of it. Because okay. when I read your bio, I was, I was like, what am I doing with my life? I am... <laughs> I have, I have wasted the last 47 years of my life. So I, I just gotta read your bio. I'm, I'm not gonna read everything. I'm just gonna go run through the highlights. You're currently the professor of practice and you'll explain that to us. At the Middle Tennessee State University, uh, criminal justice administration. Uh, let's see, uh, your your subject matters are include the foreign and domestic terrorism studies, criminal justice processes, community and public service engagement, uh, and executive law enforcement leadership, speaker imposed, uh, symposiums uh special you in your career um which you began in the secret service in 1988 uh you're a special agent uh washington uh field office uh you did dealt with the counterfeit uh currency treasury check and bank a cred- treasury check credit card and bank fraud and other financial crimes uh eventually you were the executive uh promoted to executive um executive protection and venue services for vice president al gore 2003 you were promoted to the assistant and special agent in charge of the washington field office you were a national recruiter in the security clearance division um 2008 promoted to secret services
1: uh
0: country attache. Service, country attache uh priority Pre- pretoria resident in uh, pretoria south africa uh, you were s- responsible for 21 countries. Um, just, I could go on and on here. Just special agent charges of a recruitment division. And now you're um, uh, president of, of Noble. We'll get into that. Uh, president, or, or you're a long-standing member of uh, Women in Federal Law Enforcement, International Tr- Association of Chiefs of Police, National Council of Negro Women, and National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP. Active member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, Incorporated. Been on CNN, British Broadcasting, and National Press Club, and now you can add—I've been on Captain Hunter's podcast as well. So,
1: <laughs> yes, I will.
0: So, uh, so yes. tell us what else you got going on here. You've been walking on water. You've been doing all this crazy stuff. Just, just a—I uh, really truly am impressed by your by your bio. Uh, um, so, just whatever I didn't say, tell us what, what else do you do? Do you knit? Do you... <laughs>
1: you know, that was a good one. <laughs> so when I say thank you, first of all, captain, for having me, I, like you said, in our pre-time, I felt like we've known each other forever, but thank you for this opportunity. Uh, as you know, being a veteran of law enforcement, you know, we all have the call to serve and, uh, even as one retire from, you know, their, you know, that full government job, you know, it's in us and we still like to give. And so uh, Noble has always been part of my life uh, as a law enforcement person. Of course, as I came up in ranking, got a more regular schedule, I became more active. Um, and so uh, by ascension, you run for second vice president and three, two years later, you ascend to the national presidency. So I was, I stand on the shoulder of greatness. It's uh, two other female chiefs that um, preceded me. And uh, we are that trifecta. We tried to do, you know, a, a strategic plan that it culminates in a three year period. And that's where we are. But, you know, even still you become steward of the situations and the times. And so when I came in, it was after George Floyd, but on the cusp of, you know, the numerous killings that we had. Uh, then we were in the middle of a pandemic, and then, of course, the unprecedented election. And so that's what my platform has uh, focused on, and I'm proud to present. Uh, I just uh, had a task force, and we produced a publication, uh, and I have to ensure that you get a copy, uh, It's the task force report on reimagining public safety. And we're looking at it as a roadmap. How do we fit into the community where we are today? Law enforcement you know, has an over-reliance. But again, it gets down to that law enforcement can't solve all the society's problem. It has to be buy-in from everyone. And so that is one of the strongest mantra I stand on today, that we have to look at things differently. We have to call it out for what it is and recognize that change has to come. But it only comes after we have those uncomfortable conversations and uh, to acknowledge where we are today. And we have to change things if we don't want the same results.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So let let's start off with your entering this career. You okay. talked about what and with Noble. Um so you entered as you mentioned at a time when uh george floyd started coming on the, the the presidential election and all this crazy stuff that was going on in 2020 i mean i don't know where that year came from but right <laughs> it was just the year of disaster and 2021
1: pandemic. running close to <laughs> well, it, just think well, well, about it. Six, yeah
0: yeah, this I, month. Yeah, well, yeah i wanted to get into that too uh yeah. so so talk about, talk about i mean how you how you came into that and what you were seeing as you were dealing with as you mentioned the the, the killings that we had all seen. Coming with George Floyd, and then going forward with the riots and everything like that. Tell us what your thought process was.
1: So, yeah, you know, everyone brings a different skill set. Most of my predecessors as the pres- national president of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives (NOBLE) uh, are usually acting chief. Uh, there are representations such as myself that represent the federal government. And so even as those things were playing out with George Floyd, the social unrest and unjust and, you know, the killings and stuff. And, of course, uh, my predecessor was a uh, sitting police chief. And so she was able to talk about the racial, you know, all the I mean, all the things that were going on. But my first week after when I um, was sworn in as president, it was on the same day that Attorney General Barr, uh, made the statement that he didn't think systemic racism was real. And all of one week in office, I was invited to the Department of Justice, along with other uh, police agencies like the International so- Association of, you know, uh, Chief of Police, uh, Major City Chiefs, so all of those groups. And so, you know, there was no set agenda. And so even as he came in, everybody took off their masks except me. And, uh, you know, he was just, you know, just trying to get his, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I politely waited my chance, my opportunity, and I took my mask off and I said, well, I'm not new in, in, you know, as a spokesperson, but I'm new as the national president of Noble. I say, sir, on this very day that I was sworn in, you made the statement that systemic racism does not exist. And I challenge you just because one has not uh, experienced such not, you can't negate its existence. We have to acknowledge this. And so that became a very good conversation. It wasn't adversarial. Uh, and by the grace of God, you know, all the reporters in the room and I ended up on CNN <laughs> that morning. I mean, just three days later. And so I say all of that. So even as these times are still just, you know, happening as, you know, like never before. But the conversation is. It's systemic racism we have to call it out for what it is you can't be afraid of it you can't negate it i don't need anybody to you know justify or verify or give me credence that it's okay that i as linda williams a black female a black law enforcement executive you know that i need you to okay that you don't get to marginalize uh my experiences so we have to call out you know we were all playing pretty good in the sandbox and all of a sudden things change. But in law enforcement, we're held to a higher caliber and what we've been seeing played out is that law enforcement have become warriors instead of the guardians of the communities that they were, they were sworn in to be.
0: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm seeing a run for congress somewhere in your future there I, I
1: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so tell us what noble is and what it tell, tell us about no, what noble is
1: okay.
0: and uh we'll start off with this many people will say uh why are you guys separating yourself do we really need black or black law enforcement i mean at, A.G. Bard so doesn't think systemic racism exists. So why do you guys have to separate yourselves? Is there a need for black organizations?
1: It's a need for a black organization. There's a need for any infinity group that is a minority because our strength is our solidarity. It's our it's, it's our strength. It's, our, it's our, our muscle. You know, if Linda was standing around singing by herself, that's a solo. But if everybody joined in, we got a choir and it goes further. So we know that our strength is our unity. And in 1976, when noble was founded in washington dc you know we were still in some tumultuous times times that i didn't think all these years later that we would still be looking into it and so um noble was founded to uh with the with the mantra mantra that you know we will serve as the conscience of law enforcement by being committed to justice by action to call out the disparities in in, in black and brown communities to call out that there's a dual a dual uh, justice system uh, but even in the hiring, the retention, and promotion of Black and Brown officers, and so we are just as relevant today as we are, you know, we were those many years ago. And even still, we're still working to ensure there's an equity in the administration of justice through all public services to all communities. And so we're that person that stands and, and boldly says so, you know. Even as I was telling you, there's a myriad of other law enforcement organizations. And NOBLE is always called to the table because of our credence and who we are. And it's comprised of over 3,800 law enforcement officers doing rank and file. Um, and even as we continue, we work into the community that we are an extension of the communities, that when we take these uniforms and these badges off, we're the people that when we used to sit in church, we would be the people <laughs> sitting on the pew with you or you know, the, in your community. And again, culture is policy and that's where we got to get back down to the grass root that people have to respect you you have to respect the community you have to ex- respect who they're in the culture and even if you're not from that community there's an obligation for those officers signed to that place and even that hierarchy to get out and get engaged with the communities and so noble stands tall now as we represent you know a lot of chief of police and on every rank and file and we still stand there today even though it started out as an african-american uh, organization our, our membership opens to uh, you know across the board to a myriad of you know nationalities and whatever because again if we more unite us that divides us and we have to have that collective voice to call out and say we have to do this now and that's why i created that task force that we will sit at the head of the table. We will have our own document. No one can tell our experiences better than we can. And so, again, that collective voice always go further than one person trying to sing it by themselves.
0: Well said. So, Noble is open to other uh, races, ethnicities.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. From rank and file, we have the you know we have regular membership, and those are those on the executive level. We have associate, those of the beginning, uh, first level um, journeymen and supervisors. And then we have support. So it is open across the board. And again, to every nationality, race, in uh, law enforcement, and even non law enforcement personnel, uh, you know, are supporters, uh, uh, no mm. our supporters within Noble's membership.
0: I should probably know this. My <laughs> friend's going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> uh- Prosecutors, defense attorneys, are they allowed? I mean, but are they allowed to join, not just as the auxiliaries, but join, is become active members? And We
1: have the- some. Yeah, uh, of course. There's, you know, uh, there's never been a conflict of interest. So if that, if that did come to fruition, then they have to recuse themselves. Um, but we have every walk. Exactly. It's like I said, the regular membership are usually the gun carriers, but mm-hmm. our supporting members and associate members, they can be from any uh, area. Of light that they support the creed of, of noble.
0: Very good, very good. Uh, so the task force that you mentioned, and also you guys wrote a scathing letter, and I want to get into that a little bit about um, the response to uh, the capital attacks. But let's start off with uh, uh, the the task force that you mentioned. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit?
1: So when I came in and again, what was going on is so relevant and everyone was calling and noble was being called. And, you know, some people were you know, stuck their head in the sand. But boldly, we stood up to call it out what it is, it's systemic racism. And that's what I stated even on that day uh, on CNN that, you know. Systemic racism is just American as apple pie. Let's not let's not fool ourselves. It exists. We, you know, it's that giant elephant that we walk around. But you know what? Now the elephant is stomping people. So we got to acknowledge that it exists. And so that task force was just that. As we talk about reimagining, and that became the buzzword of this time. So when you know the outcry from Black Lives Matter of defunding, you know everybody thought, you know, it depends on who you ask what's the definition of defunding? If you ask some young people, they say do away with the cops. You ask somebody else, but we realize we cannot live in a lawless society. So when we reimagine, how do we work with all the social services? How do we make sure that there's mental and physical um, you know, um, support for our community, that everything is not a call from law enforcement, but working in tandem with those other social services? So whether it's uh, defunding that's reallocating fund or appropriating an additional fund. But when we reimagine, we gotta think about it, we gotta do this differently. Cause look what we have been doing and where we are now. So that takes a buy-in not just from law enforcement, that takes from the community, those special interest groups, you know, our, our civil rights leader, legislator. So all of this come to play. So it's not just a law enforcement problem. I and mean, that's what people keep thinking that law enforcement no, no, this is all you know contingent on one another. So it takes us all to sit down and you know put on, you know, put on our, our good, our big strong girls and boys shoulders and just realize we gotta call it out. And until we recognize it, and it's not that I'm trying to convince you, but I need you to hear and understand that my experiences are different and we as black and brown citizens and even in law enforcement are different than you know the majority so we have to have those uncomfortable conversations so that we can acknowledge that we have we have some goals that we need to work towards
0: absolutely absolutely so let's jump well i want to jump around a little bit here i got my okay. notes here i want to um so we, we we're touching on this the state of law enforcement the state of law enforcement uh as concerning um uh, r- racial uh divisions racial divide, what we saw at the capitol and we know that uh, many capitol police officers are under investigation uh for their part or or lack of <laughs> part of <laughs> or whatever going on whether they were actively supporting these people or whatever they're saying behind the scenes whatever so what do you what are your thoughts about number one the state of law enforcement and then number two, uh, the state of law enforcement as compared with, with race relations.
1: So as I stated, it, we have to take a close look and and it, we got to go to the grassroots of it, how and where and what our methodology for recruiting. And then when we get these people in there, we train them, but not just when they come in as new recruit that they have in-service training, but then overarching super, but supervision. You have to have that transparency and that accountability and that's what the pop you know the society and and you know everyone is crying out because you know they don't trust and when you don't uh you know you know when there's no trust then there's that accountability factor that's not there the transparency not there and so it always pits us one against the other so that's why I said we have to reimagine to do this over and as we look at what happened on January 6th Uh, I teach terrorism, so it could be labeled as domestic terrorism, insurrection. It was a mob. It was all of these things. And so we saw that these people supposedly are demonstrating their First Amendment rights, as did Black Lives Matter. But the images bear themselves out. The images bear themselves out. Policing, and you know this, good policing is based on intel. That's that intellectual data, you know, everything to go. Well, the Newsies knew that there was a propensity for danger. So why wouldn't law enforcement know that? So there is a security posture in place. But of course, that day there was a lack thereof. And, you know, we'll encircle the wagons later to assign blame. But there's a myriad of failure there, you know, of course, you know, they didn't even have the assets. And as I as I was called in on that very day, one as a subject matter expert on executive security from you know being secret service. And there is a sitting uh, security posture in place. There's memorandum of understanding, and it shows itself every four years, where law enforcement from all over the country come in to support the inauguration. But even right there in Washington, D.C., you know, with the you know uh, federal uh, assets as well as local assets, that is the people's house. So this wasn't a surprise. What happened was someone chose chose not to. Uh, honor that or turn a blind eye and now everybody said you say I didn't say or whatever but we realized there was a, a a myriad of problems and failures but when it comes to the police response and the lack thereof on the six the images bear themselves out when we saw it play itself out this summer there wasn't a shortage of cop and I won't say that they didn't have spurs of violence because you know that happens everywhere but that was not that movement versus what we saw and I stated boldly if those people that had had, had uh, that had mobbed the Capitol that day were majority black and brown citizen, it would have been a different scenario. It would have been a bloodbath and they would still have been putting toe tags because the response and it shows itself. It just shows itself. And that's why I said we have to acknowledge it. systemic is racism is different. I mean, it, it exists and it, it shows differences in how black and brown citizens are treated in comparison to non-black and brown citizens.
0: With the George Floyd incident and this particular incident, the, the January sixth, do you think that there is now a more of a of a of a recognition by people who would say it's uh, it's not you guys are always crying racism? Do you think that now they're saying okay, they're, they're, you might have something here? Do you think that there's any consensus to that?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, George Floyd as that murder, it played itself out in high definition for the whole world to see, and it wasn't like something that you could just hide that happened in Minnesota. This was global. And so some people that might have turned a blind eye because, you know, that's not me. And like you said, that's how you people think about this. But now, anybody that's real and anybody that, you know, don't, you know, is not afraid of the truth, you got to acknowledge that there are some disparities. And the movement this time will be different because you saw how with the demonstrators in the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, they came from every walk, every every ethnic group, every race, you know they came to support because they believe, all they know is freedom and all they know is inclusivity. And so again, this has changed the world that they know. So all of this happened for a reason. And you know, and it paints itself very clearly. If you just pay attention to what's going on, the facts are there so much so that to answer your question, Captain, you have to acknowledge it now.
0: Yeah, but unfortunately, and I think you're you're saying it right, is that some people are just not willing to acknowledge it or or, they're afraid of the truth in that um you know they're still saying that it, no nah, it really wasn't this and they they're not going to be able to say that uh I at least I haven't heard them anyone explicitly say if this was a different group of individuals we would have prepared differently for that. I mean we're saying it behind the scenes and I've heard some some pundits on different news uh, shows saying it as well. Um but but for a general consensus of them to say listen you know we really dropped the ball and the reason that we dropped the ball is because we didn't think we didn't think that it would come to this. We didn't take this thing seriously. We don't think that white domestic terrorism is a is a real and viable threat. And that I find to be extremely, extremely disturbing because it's not over.
1: Right. Not at all. And, you know, your your perception is your ideation or reality. And so they can stand behind that belief that they want to, to say that, but the images bear themselves. And we can't ignore what happened i mean even as you know the investigations and and the debriefs are coming now that they were told to stand down they were you know on so many levels so uh yeah it was a difference because of the the groups that were demonstrating yeah
0: yeah really really very very terrible uh we talked about the recruiting of uh black officers a little bit what's your thoughts about that i myself uh, tried to recruit officers or, you know, try to recruit, recruit people to become police officers. Uh, they were not willing to to do it. A lot of times they don't take the tests. Um, and so this is a problem. And we know the recruiting is around across the country, across the board, um, partly because of these viral videos that we're talking about. However, um, you know, this recruitment of black officers is, is problematic to me because persons like yourself have gone up through the ranks. If we're not becoming police officers, we're not gonna be able to move up the rank or secret service agents, FBI agents. Right, Right. Exactly.
1: So, you know, uh, and that's the, and even as I retired as a deputy assistant director and I was over HR and recruiting is challenging on so many levels and it remains challenging even more so on the federal level. But at this point in our country, you know, it's hard for the very communities that have such a negative and adversarial confrontation with the police to be attracted to the police. But I tell any, everybody, recruiting, it has to be strategic. It's not just doing job fairs anymore. You know, you got to get in early with, you know, high school kids, you know, give them a positive, you know, you know connection to see what policing is like. And, you know, they see family members and stuff. We are probably our best recruiters, uh, but it's not something like any other job that somebody decide, okay, what else can I do? Oh, yeah, I guess I'll be a police officer because we realize that it's a passion. You know, you don't come to law enforcement to get rich. Uh, You come because you want to make a difference. And that's not to say we don't have, you know, some bad apples and some bad orchards. But again, (laughs) it has to be strategic. But in an organization, you know what? It's not just, you know, when we had this last big push in my my previous organization after sequestration, everybody suffered. And so it wasn't just the recruiting division that had to do this. The director may buy in from the entire organization, that mean every field office, Everybody was part of it. They had to be in the, you know, you know, we had these onboarding, uh, pro, you know, like job fairs on the weekends, where they had to, you know, go through their security interviews and all of this. And so he made it organizational and everybody had to be accountable for it. But until it is made strategic and a mandate from the top of an organization, um, recruiting is just something that falls on the wayside. And that's why we see even more so in these tumultuous times, where it's not comfortable to be a law enforcement officer even those that are dedicated to the profession, you know, there's some hesitancy because dang if I do and dang if I don't, and, you know, I don't want to get in trouble and, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, be that person. So it is a very hard ask nowadays, unless someone has always and already decided from, you know, seeing it internally that they want to go in law enforcement. So even more so is challenging in these times. Mm,
0: Very good. Very good. Um, do you sense a difference in administrations uh between um you were, you t- retired in 2017 so you had a little bit of the of the uh the the other guy uh, in <laughs> I
1: look I, I came on look I didn't tell myself <laughs> I came on when Ronald Reagan was president okay and then I, I retired in 2017 when the previous administration and so when every administration comes on um Noble is apolitical, uh, and so we're invited to the White House and do these things, and even in the transition. Now, even like with this this current administration, we submitted over 80 names for different federal uh, positions throughout the, I mean, different positions throughout the federal government. Now, we just provided qualified candidates, but the administration, you know, the transition team take it from there. Um, but I'm happy to see that some of the people that we have put forth have, you know, have been confirmed or assigned or appointed to their position. But what you to answer what you said, I like the you know, just the, the, the diversity and the inclusiveness of this this administration already. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as like the attorney general in the previous administration said, well, I don't think that this exists. You know, you know, he has just closed his mind because it's not a problem that he had to have. But even as they were talking, Mr. Garland, potentially he was saying, you know, I serve the people. And again, it's that mentality? I you know, I'm all about whoever does. Right. Um, You know, I was asked the question, would I want a black attorney general? I don't care if he's purple Mm -hmm. or she's purple as long as they're equitable, they're fair and they're open. And that's what we we all. And that's one of the pillars of noble that, you know, uh, you know, justice got to be fair. It got to be equal, and it must be transparent. And we did not see that in the in the prior administration. And even though we're in the early days of this administration, uh, there's great promise. There's very, great promise.
0: Very good. Got a couple of uh, comments and questions here. Uh, Chris Casey says, I don't know why anyone would want to join law enforcement in a current climate situation. Uh, there is widespread disrespect for life, especially police lives. Uh, and. and-
1: and as I said, Chris, uh, um, it's not a, a, a positive a thing. But, you know, one thing about law enforcement is a passion. And so, you know, and even as, you know, I've done over 30 some years and people say, well, why would you want to be law enforcement? You know, you're just one person, you know, one little black woman, one little black girl from Memphis, Tennessee. I always believed that I could be the change that I wanted to see. Now I cannot change the world; I can only change the corner. You can only change that that corner in that you're standing. But I know through all of my years and all the challenges and every, you know, mountain, every every you know challenge that I had, I've made it better for those women that have come on behind me and that continues to come on behind me. When I came in the Secret Service, there was no black female supervisor, and it was limited African Americans. You know, I challenged and changed, you know, the way that we did recruiting, even from the test, to make sure that it wasn't, you know, biased. And so, you can't change the whole world. You can only it starts with you and what you have, you know, over your little jurisdiction uh, to try to make that difference. So, you know, it takes people that want to see better and want to do better. And so, even though, Chris, it might not be a challenge that you want to take, but I, I raised my hand because I wanted to serve and I knew and I believe that I can make it different from where God had placed me. And I and I truly believe that uh, he's pleased with that. Uh,
0: okay. I, I before i forget because i have a tendency to, to forget as i get older um i want to talk about um something that people always ask and i'm sure that you've been asked that before um you know law enforcement has traditionally been uh you know white supremacist uh keeping the black people in their place or keeping the asian people or keeping the uh the natives in their place and all that kind of stuff so people often ask to join this organization that was traditionally came from this particular place and um so now we've come here to pass forward to 2021 uh you joined in 1988 i joined in 1995 we had more black officers black chiefs and all the kind of things so can you talk about i'm probably talking about it <laughs> can you talk about <laughs> about where we started from in law enforcement you know the slave patrols and all that kind of stuff to where we are today can you talk about that a little bit?
1: And, and you know and and you you brought up a great uh for the people just a quick history lesson the first the first relationships as it related to black and brown citizens uh as it related to law enforcement were slave patrols so right there you had already you know dehumanized us as individuals that you know we were property that we were less than a full citizen and so even as we have come all these years later you know that that mindset still permeates throughout a lot of organizations and so you can't uh, but law enforcement, it, it is—it's at—it's at a—it's at, at a fork in the road, and that's why you know even with my reimagining, we got to look at things different. We got to hold people more accountable. You know, now they like they were showing how you know uh, military persons and off-duty police officers were at the capitol. It wasn't surprising. It wasn't surprising. Though those things always existed, they were just you know they were smart enough not to say it out loud, but who's Everything that we're in now, they've been emboldened to show this. And so we got to break it down and go to the grassroots of, you know, from holding every chief uh, director or public service or security have to hold them accountable. And if it means clean a house, we're going to have to clean a lot of houses because there is an emboldenment to think that, you know what? I'm this um versus you, this warrior mentality, and that you know they're more reactive instead of proactive to you know, you know, and it's easy to mistreat people, it's you easy to you know use that, you know, de-escalation of course and throw that out the window when you dehumanize people, when you think people are less than, I dare to say, uh, that that officer that was on George Floyd's neck, he didn't see George Floyd as a man, he didn't see George Floyd as a human being. He didn't see George Floyd as anything equivalent to what he was. And it's easy to marginalize or denigrate something that you think is less than you. And so that mindset still is in the history of our country. And when we have a you know polarization like we just had, um, these are the residuals. And you know, we got we got to keep moving. And I still believe, I do believe that a change is gonna come and it's not gonna come from just black and brown citizens. It's gonna come from people all over that want the world to be a better place and unite. And when we move in the same direction, we all win. But it's not easy, but it can happen. It can happen.
0: Again. Uh, I, oh, absolutely. And I would challenge, you know, and I'm gonna get to your question here in a second, Tracy. Um, I, I would challenge people to really think about the things that the president is saying and and really think about the things that other people are saying you know in my book i actually wrote a book here Oh, know where it is oh here it is i gotta do I gotta do this for the audience here make sure you guys can pick up my book please perform a police okay. a entire police captain's perspective on law, evolution of law enforcement and all that kind of stuff so
1: I, make sure i get that and you get my um task force report
0: oh absolutely absolutely yep. um so I, 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 when we first started off, you talked. We, we you asked me how I got into this, so I talked about a good friend of mine who I, we we always had, uh, good great conversations at the police department, and so he actually read the book and he's he couldn't believe some of the things that I went through um, when I first started in 1995. He call, I mean he called me up like last week and and really asked these questions. He's like, you know, they used to call me Larry. Larry, did these things really happen? I'm like, I'm like, they did, they did. Right. And I told them, I told right. them who it was, you know. And it was, I'm not gonna, I want people to buy the books, so they can see the stories. Here's the story, hear the story. Right. but, 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 but yeah. So some, I, I would ask people out there to really listen to what we're saying. We're not exaggerating. These things didn't happen, you know. Sometimes we like to think though these things happen, you know, in the South or, or in the upper, you know, Midwest or whatever. But sometimes here, right here in Connecticut, you know, they they, mm-hmm. they happen, or da- of course, down in, you know, Tennessee or mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. So these right. things are absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely out there um, And it
1: still happens today Even on the federal sector You know, you know, we are sitting at the table You know, I don't get in Administrative discipline with any uh, Department on any level But when we talk about systemic and Institutional issues, just like With one of the federal agencies uh, Most recently, like in the last year or something One of the black recruits You know, uh, while he was On the firing line or doing whatever They were making monkey and ape sounds in 2020 so again these things still real but if there was a no tolerance and i mean no tolerance and that's how you clean house but so many are you know uh there by nepotism and turning a blind Mm -hmm. eye but you know you got to have that you know no tolerance and if it means cleaning up in doj coming in and cleaning out our department we got to make those kind of bold changes Uh,
0: absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. so chris says he's thankful to you uh for your service and your passion, you. and they also says from uh, from your lips to God's ears, Professor.
1: Uh, Thank Tracy,
0: you, Tracy's asking a question. What is your opinion on Black and Brown officers continuously getting passed over passed for promotion for, for their less qualified white counterparts?
1: It's the air that we breathe, uh, Trace. It, it is, and it happens, and it happens. It happened in my very organization, and it continues to happen. But until you make you know accountability, and so you have to make it where it's not subjective. You have to make sure that there's direct criteria that shows what the eligibility is for each person as they they go up the ladder. Not because you know you're somebody's you know relatives or friend or something. There are you know actual accountable uh, guidelines and checks and balances of what a person has to have in order to be moved up Uh, and so it makes it more challenging Uh, but as long as there's human nature and culture some things will still happen but again when you call it out and you know and make them uh, show why that person was you know you know better suited for a promotion or whatever uh, you do but it it starts out with that you have to do a merit promotion process that you have to put those definitive um, you know tests those you know, answers and things that every person that's considered for that position are, you know, have a more equal opportunity of a, a ch- a achieving that promotion. It's not easy. It goes against a lot of culture, but in order for those uh, organizations and agencies that want to be forward-thinking and want to be more inclusive, and they realize that, you know, they're working against themselves until they do differently, uh, but it's, it's hard. It's challenging to change, you know, seated. Um, uh operations or uh you know ways that have been done to challenge that with new ways but you know what with your generation other uh that forward thinking changes and it shows a different accountability where they there is actually measurable uh uh you know merits where someone is based on their promotion versus just you know just who you know
0: In, in your estimation is that a huge problem
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of organization has gone to that merit system. Like I said, when you have measurable, quantitative information to base, you know, people scoring what puts you what makes you a better qualified applicant than me. And so, again, a lot of forward thinking organizations have had to move to those type of promotion because it still happens. But again, it's more challenging when, you know, you have to justify how you pick that person versus this if they met all these criteria, and so until an agency want to recognize that they have problems they're going to always be their worst enemy and work against themselves but even still going against the grain and you have to change the culture you got to realize that you know the way you know it shows itself i'm a professor again at middle tennessee state which was my alma mater when I was there, you know, you know, they told me that, you know, they're going to get rid of these LPs, record albums. I know you're listening, may not even know what they are. And they <laughs> have these little CDs, like little discs, and um, that's how your music going to be played. I said, uh-uh, how are they going to put people' picture on those little CDs? And so, again, then we fast forward, I talked to the kids now, and they were like, professor, what are you talking about? So, you know, this forward thinking, and it takes us to bring in new blood. It takes us to bring in new ideology. You know, I get as much a high from my students as they do from me because they think differently, but it's my institutional knowledge and my experience, you know, mesh with their creativity and the way that they see things that we find workable solutions to some of the things we're talking about, even if we agree to disagree. So it takes a new mindset to change the way we- because we cannot have the same people doing the same thing. We'll still get the same results. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's see, Tracy says, that's the problem. The agency doesn't see it as a problem. Yeah, yeah that's the culture that needs to change. You know, And the that's that culture
1: that we're talking about. And, you know, again, you know, you have, you know, different agency. And a lot of stuff comes down now to federal funding. So now organizations have to check certain things that they do in order to get that kind of money and, you know, for their funding and budgeting. And so that's why Noble is pushing that national legislation and even more, you know, the proponents of the uh, Justice George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, that it gives accountability where it's not just left at the discretion some road chief or, you know, director of security that there's an accountability and, uh, and even tied to them doing the right thing is the funding for their department. So again, there has to be some hard guidelines and standards, and there has to be consequences when those standards are not adhered. And so that's how we start changing the culture as well.
0: Very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, so I want to kind of get into your background here. Let's have a little fun here. Uh, okay. You you entered uh, the Secret Service in 1988 mm-hmm. uh, because at the behest of an FBI agent that came to your school, or is that what you said? Or?
1: See, uh, when, well, <laughs> let me just tell you, my first first uh, security job I was a bookstore detective. Oh. Uh,
0: <laughs> for <that's, laughs> for bookstore detective to protect the vice president. <laughs> what a story that are- is. <laughs> uh, so it
1: was a it was a it was a work study a uh, program, and so I was the first thing. So um, I I was I you know I went to the bookstore and hung out and uh, tried to catch people shoplifting, and I was affected <laughs> probably the first week <laughs> because everybody knew me, and so they were like Shields. That was my main name, my name in college. They say Shields, why are you uh in the bookstore? I said I'm a bookstore detective, and so. Everybody soon learned that Shields was the bookstore detective. So it was good company, uh, but I didn't catch anybody. So the next semester when I went to report uh, to my, my duties, I was called to the back. I said, Hey. What we're changing my hours, they said, uh, let us talk to you for a minute. They said, We're not gonna use you this semester. I was like, What? I said, I didn't I said nobody was stealing anything. They said, Well, you wouldn't know, because everybody know you was the bookstore detective. And so that was my first security job. But the yeah, You were terrible
0: undercover. Is that what you're saying? You were just terrible at it.
1: <laughs> so they said I was bad as an agent because I always talked and smiled even when I was <laughs>
0: <laughs> she can't protect yeah. nobody She keeps laughing I, I,
1: you, <laughs> you know, I really was great at what I did But I'll tell you about that another time But okay. um, <laughs> it, it gets gooder And I do mean gooder. So <laughs> I was a senior in college And uh, at that time uh, They had a uh, FBI agent That came to our class And as I sat there I was enamored I was like wow because I always dreamed in colored and lived outside the box. And I was just like, you know, I know it's another world outside of Tennessee. So when this guy was talking about becoming an FBI agent, I was like, oh, my God, that's what I'm going to be. And so I told everyone that's what I'm going to be, an FBI agent. But when I went to apply for FBI, now I had my degree. I was very smart academically, but it was a couple of things that precluded me. One, I didn't have any full time work experience, you know bookstore detective was just a little part of it. You, you were thinking that, that
0: kid you could right. tell them, listen, nobody ever stole from the bookstore. I got a hundred percent record.
1: <laughs> so so uh, I didn't have that three years full-time work status. They want a degree, but they want a specialized degree. And of course what you see now, this lean, mean fighting machine, I was a cute <laughs> little fat girl in college now, but I was cute. But you know, I wasn't physically fit. I mean, you know, when I even got to Washington DC, I was like, why are people running? Uh, because, you know, in Memphis, Tennessee, folks, them are rolling like that. But of course, we're going into an era now that physical fitness and everything. And so I had put myself on a pause because I had to do what I had to do to make myself the most viable uh, candidate. So I had too much pride to go home back to Memphis. So I had a sister that was living at the time in Augusta, Georgia. I moved there with my dreams, my hopes, and my school loans. I uh, joined the Sheriff's Department. One to get some law enforcement experience, two to pay them loans, and three to get in shape. And so uh, I applied for the six.
0: <laughs> you joined the police change. department to get in shape.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, see, he'd have up my story. <laughs> I never thought about that, but I did. <laughs> when I left there, then I started. You okay. my story somewhere, but anyway, I name is Lean Mean Fighting Machine. I graduated in '85, and so uh, the winter, of January '88, of I was coming in after getting in shape with the Sheriff's Department and uh, came on to the Secret Service. And uh, I came on as a uniformed officer and the uniformed officer are the men and women you see around the White House and they're strictly based in Washington DC at all the buildings that the secret service police force which is the uniform division covers. And so I took the opportunity because I wanted to be a special agent, which you know is a criminal investigator and I had my college degree, but I thought if they would just give me an opportunity to get this big foot in the door, then the rest is history. And by the grace of God, At the time that I retired, uh, almost 30 years later, uh, I was the highest ranking African-American female at that time. I uh, was preceded by three other sisters that had uh, preceded, and we are still very, very close today. And even at the time that I retired, I was the second highest woman in the Secret Service. And so too much is given, much is required. And when I tell you, you know, being back here in middle Tennessee state, that's my happy place. You know, when people come to visit me, before the pandemic. And I was like, girl, what, the, what, what city is this? I say, Murfreesboro. They say, Murfreesboro. I said, don't be disrespectful. So I had to tell them it's outside of Nashville. And so when they come, because, you know, I live in Washington, D.C. and Maryland and Virginia. So, you know, those are metropolitan and busy. And they say, you where now? I say, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. When I tell everyone it's truly my happy place because I tell them I'm no longer in law enforcement, I'm an academician, I'm a Mm -hmm. professor. So I'm not trying to sell you real estate, but if you're looking for a wholesome place to live, and of course it's close enough to Memphis Mm -hmm. if I needed to get home, but it's my happy place because this is where it started for me and that I can make a difference. So that person that wants to go into law enforcement, Uh, They don't have to wait till they graduate to realize what qualification. Of course, you have the Internet. And before COVID, I used to bring subject matter experts into the classroom. A lot of noble members. And it's a good recruiting tool as well. So, you know, I have these symposiums. So whatever area, whether it was, you know, local, state or federal, that they'll know what the day of that person looked like, what the salary, what's the qualification. But I just give them the general education that, you know, I don't care if you live in a state. That marijuana is legal you cannot go in law enforcement knowingly being pothead you know you your, your credit you know you got to be able you know to you know be on the payment system making payments you can't be on in the rears you know your drug usage uh you know your credit make sure your health and just you know make sure that you're ready so you know even and i know it's almost odd nowadays i make my students write I make, them, uh, I make them stand up and speak because I say, you don't have to be Professor Williams, but you got to be able to interview. So why should they hire you versus this person? And even there's no substitution for the written word. You got to be able to communicate. So I am hoping that, you know, I'm giving them the tools regardless whether they go into a career of law enforcement, but these nuggets that, you know, it'll pay the way some, they don't have to hit every pothole. And I use my experiences and everything I talk about, I tell them you know, my, my mantra is where reality needs academia. I'm gonna teach you the textbook and then I'm gonna teach you what the real world say and in somewhere in between you'll realize what the realness. And I'll allow the students to give me their real life experience and we make it applicable to the conversation and respect is the cornerstone of my classroom because we all come from different places but we can agree to disagree and we can respect uh, each other's background when we speak on subjects.
0: Very good. Were there any problems uh, when you were in high ranking positions Um, from co-workers, uh, you know, being a female, being a black female? Did you ever get any pushback from
1: All the above. Uh, Being a woman, being a black woman, you have to be twice as good to be considered half as good. You know, you couldn't have the frailties that, you know, your majority uh, white population, you know, even to this very day, as I get called from young ladies, black or white, that are still in the Secret Service, um, they was like, you have to talk to Linda, because I tell them, you know, it's not that you don't crack, but you don't let them see you crack. And, you know, and where you deficient, you work on that. When You know, in my special agent class, I was the only female. Now, of course, you know, it was a couple guys who were a little slower than me, but the thing about it those guys that were challenged to learn stuff academically i used to drill them and you know tutor them and in return they would run with me to get my time up they you know even even testing day they were you know the fast runners would finish their time for you know you know for their record and then they would come back and run with me to make sure you know and cheering and so everybody iron sharpens iron And so I'm that type of person. If you let me stay with you in the first five minutes, I I can find something common that unite us. But it yes, it was challenging. There was times that you know they did not want a female as a partner. They didn't understand that, you know, even as I would do something, I was like, I have to remind you, I'm not your wife, I'm your peer. And you know, and so again, you have to know who you are and who you are. So you got that mean knowing your job and knowing your job well. And, you know, and where you, everybody has, you know, some deficiency, that's when you ask for help. You know, when we would do raise, I wouldn't be the first one with that 75 pound shield, but I can rock that shotgun. So you have to know what your strengths are and cater to them. And, you know, respect is given is earned. So uh, I've always worked with a majority uh, male, majority white, um, but I've always had a decent work respect. And for those few, black, white, or green, you know, I, I, I'm i not one that have to run until I'll confront you face to face. And then if we can't find a compromise, and then I'll report it higher. But um, I was fortunate because I was outspoken, but real problems exist. And so we had to make sure that there was, you know, room for those conversations when that type of mentality or that conversation was inappropriate. And so you just have to know who you are, know your job, know your policies, and do them to the best of your ability. Because at the end of the day, that's what you're getting evaluated
0: on. Very good, very good. Um, I don't see any more questions or comments. So I think we'll call it there, unless unless anyone has any more questions or comments. Uh, can you tell us any 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 stories? Can you can you give us a story or two? Uh, some of your favorite stuff.
1: Oh, we. I better not say that here. <laughs>
0: I had a, I had an FBI agent, I mean, you might know her, Jerry Williams. Uh, well, you know, we yeah. all know each other. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I had Jerry Williams on it. She said the same thing. I don't know if I could talk talk about it.
1: Come well, on. I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't know if I can tell on the podcast, but this is a funny <laughs> thing.
0: Um,
1: okay. uh, when I did my protective phase uh, in Secret Service, uh, Al Gore was running for president, and so I was assigned to him. But as I stated, I've had the play uh, favor of being able to protect since Ronald Reagan until 2017 with Trump. And so uh, when I was over in Africa as the country attache, I was the voice of Africa. So um, President Carter, President Clinton came often um, to the continent. And so it's a different report because you don't have all the White House staff. They still have staff, but they deal more with you as as being the head of Secret Service there. And so uh, Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter, you know, they would be on because they always they were still doing Habitat for Humanity even over there. And so um, not that they had all the uh, press, but one thing that when they would leave uh, as a gratuity, uh, you would take a picture with the you know the police chief or whoever that helped support that visit. And so I was the photographer because there wasn't no photographer out there in the sticks. And so I said, OK, come on, come on, everybody get on get up there. And President Carter said. You show is bossy <laughs> so, so this guy said well boss she has to be bossy she's in charge of the continent and so i said okay sir on the count of three one two three and then he said look is you going with me i said everywhere you go on the continent i'm going with you and so once we got on the plane he hit his wife Roslyn. he said "Roslyn, she sure is bossy and Roslyn said but jimmy I like them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you got to know them on a personal level. And, and you know, you have your love me wall, but the experiences to have lived on another continent, to have shaken hands with Nelson Mandela, that picture up over my head. Uh, you know, that my my child, you know, as a single mother, she matriculated, you know, at the international schools. But for all that the Secret Service allowed me to live and see that there is another world outside of your box and you got to be able to dream in color and live outside. So I encourage anybody, don't let statistics, don't let anybody tell you what you cannot do. If it's in your heart and you have a passion to do it and God told you, God on do conference calls, he tells you, then you know what? Don't let anybody defer you, or deter you. When I decided that I wanted you to go to South Africa, even before the position was open people was like, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't take my daughter, you know, it's dangerous and all of this. And so I hushed And when the opportunity availed itself, I was chosen hands down. So again, and it was the best assignment in my whole career. I used to cry and say all of this and a paycheck too. So if you can dream it, you can conceive it and you believe in yourself and you don't let anybody deter you. And you know, sometimes you have to cry, but just realize, Anything worthwhile you have to fight for and you will make the you'll make the way a little less hectic and, and better for those who's coming behind you.
0: Very good. Very good. What's your favorite Secret Service movie?
1: You know, it got to be the line of fighting that. I was going to they- say. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? But that was, it was more realistic because they had Secret Service uh, consultants, so they had real agents. Okay. But let me just tell you this right quick. When it came out, I was sitting in the movie theater, and, you know, everybody was on oh, wow, wow. And somebody said, hey, I'd like to meet a real Secret Service agent. I wonder if they really like that. I said, me too. So, <laughs> <laughs> but my whole career, everybody was like, you don't look like a Secret Service Agent. I was like, okay, what a Secret Service Agent look like. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah, so you know, I'm richer for that experience. And you know, I am so glad that I had an opportunity to come to make a difference and to, you know, inspire that generation that's still following behind me.
0: I watched uh, uh was White, ho- White House of fallen? White House the falling?
1: White House down that was look no, that no, was not, like not so that Hollywood.
0: one not that 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 one with Jamie Foxx that one was it was the that other was one was with, with G- 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 Gerard Butler um
1: Oh Olympia is it Oh Olympus
0: Olympus is Fallen. I watched that the other day so
1: That was a little too much ho- Hollywood like. <laughs> <laughs> Where they where they recruit them from <laughs> <laughs> look and I'm like, no, it ain't quite, yeah. That was a little too Hollywood. It too much. Too much Hollywood. Hollywood.
0: Yeah, too much Hollywood. Yeah. The other one with uh what's his name? I can't remember. Michael Douglas was he Michael Douglas, he was a FBI agent. Oh
1: yeah, he was, sleep, he,
0: he was sleeping stuff. with the white, with the with the white the president's wife or something like that, some crazy some crazy <laughs> best. So
1: yeah, you know Tyler Perry did a black version of that. So oh it did he Oh, you know, his he got—he has a sitcom, not sitcom, a series
0: um, called
1: The Oval, and the president and, and the first lady are a mixed couple, but all of that kind of shenanigans go on. I did
0: not know yeah. that. I did not yeah. know that. Yep, yep,
1: okay. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. Yep, my, yep.
0: my daughter comes over and watches Tyler Perry all the time, so I didn't even know that. Oh, right, I had to check yep, that out. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Well, you have made this most fun. <laughs> uh,
0: I try. I try. I want you to come back. That's why. <laughs> I, I will. I
1: will. Uh, Look, dude, we got. We can talk. All, well, we already had a whole conversation, but I.
0: I, <laughs> I uh, so Tracy, you. absolutely. Tracy <laughs> says, uh, "Thank you. You're a role model. You definitely, definitely are. I'm going to make sure my daughter thank watches you. this, uh, not because I want her to be Secret Service agent, but I want her to, to achieve her dreams. And I think that I, I love I love to hear people who have." Uh, who have achieved their dreams, you know, and you and I just you,
1: never took no for an answer. Everybody yeah. answers to somebody, and yeah. so if you tell me no, then who do you answer to? And you know, and you realize, and it's not that you ask who you, who's over you. Uh, first of all, is your right, but you can ask anything if you tackle. If I can get on TV and challenge the Attorney General mm-hmm. of the United States, and people are like, well, I said, but at the end of the day, he's a servant. S M I. And he's supposed to be the chief law enforcement executive in this country. You got to call it out for what it is. And so you don't you don't have to change who you are. One of the last stories that you'll remember when you invite me back, Captain, I always tell people, my name is Linda Y. Mama knew I was going to be unique because way long time ago, you didn't see Linda spell L-Y-N-D-A. It's very common today. But uh, I've always said that's what makes me unique. So, you know, all my friends, even my close friends say, hey, Linda Y. I always say, oh, that I is not me, but that Linda Woodway is. And I say that you have to be true to your own star player, and that's you. You have to take care of yourself before anybody else can use you or you be of any service to anybody else. So know that God made you uniquely and uniquely be yourself, and you contribute to this world as God has placed you.
0: Very good. I think we're going to end it off right there. I think that was absolutely perfect. We're going to end it off right there. Uh, also ended off because you have great movie taste. In the Line of Fire it was definitely the best Secret <laughs> Service movie, absolutely hands down. We're not going to argue about that. Uh, right. I, might, I might even go watch it after this, just because of this interview. So. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much to everyone who tuned in. Thank you so much for the comments, for the questions. Thank you to my guest here, uh, Ms. Linda with a Y, R. Williams, <laughs> President of Noble. Thank you so much for coming on Captain Hunter's podcast. I truly, truly appreciate the conversation. You truly are an inspiration, as my man Chris has said. And uh, we look forward to having you back. Thank you so much.
1: I look forward to coming back. Thank you so much. And we got to get that book. So um, I'll make sure that I give you the link for the uh, task force.
0: Oh, absolutely, please, please do that. Okay. All right, everyone, take care. Police reform is more than just a trending topic. My name is Lawrence Hunter. I'm a retired police captain from the state of Connecticut. And I've written a new book called Police Reform. And I talk about the evolution of law enforcement here in America and what changes need to be made in order to improve the relationship between the police and the communities that they serve. Over the past few months, it has become increasingly more important and more evident that there's something amiss in the ride between the police and the communities that they serve. So whether you're about defunding the police or defending the police, if you're about Blue Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter, no matter what side of the fence you happen to sit on, make sure that you pick up your copy of Police Perform today.